programs and welcome to the, the latest edition of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew and with me as always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hola, amigos, que pasa? <laughs> uh, no, uh, not to confuse you viewers, but that was actually me speaking Spanish and I know if that confused um, you. We don't have a Spanish guest with us today. It was actually me. And we're using uh, that language today to tie in our discussion of a modern feature film. Yes, we are once That's... again speaking about the story of the West Side. The yes, Romeo I love Juliet how Juliet of New York. I really, really wanted this movie to get to end with ah, uh, and that was us. Who'd have known we'd find heartbreak in our West Side Story credits? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been terrible. <laughs> brilliant. Just brilliant. <laughs> well, the West Side Story, the new version, Best Picture nominated, Steven Spielberg directed, has been added to Disney Plus. So Simon mm-hmm. finally got a chance to see it. So we'll be talking yes. about that a little bit, and then we're going to move on to the new Netflix uh, blockbuster science fiction action thing, The Adam Project. Yes, but to answer from... your question, I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, like, I just, what, I, just assumed. Not... Let's not get straight into it. We have we have a few minutes of banter, surely. So oh, we do, we do. I, I just assumed you were fine. And sometimes I forget <laughs> that, you know, we're not recording when we speak for 20 minutes before we get recorded. So. <laughs> well, it's nice because it's been another Sunday morning of trying to sort out two children doing two different things at the same time. And now they're, they've all just gone somewhere. And so this is a nice spot of calm. So uh, I had one of these weekends. I had a very frustrating week and... When I get frustrated, I, I I either just surf the internet mindlessly. So I mm. installed I installed and deleted TikTok again within like two, within a day because it is the worst time sink I've ever experienced. It's worse than anything else, and so I delete that for my own mental health because it's terrible. And uh, my second state is bake, and as you know, this week I baked a uh, vanilla sponge with cherry buttercream and mango icing. So yes, I, I, I was actually pretty I, upset we didn't get a chance to come over and sample that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to be quick in these parts to eat cake. And my third state is clean, capital K, block capitals, <laughs> and um, this we have a three-story house now, and there's a lot of just housework all the time just all the time and it can it can pile up so i was like fuck this i'm gonna clean so i did i cleaned so much like an old man i i hurt my back and i basically had to lie flat and watch the adam project last night but it worked out we've now got a clean house okay so how about you how's your week been oh you know it's just been another week and uh it's what Mar. It says what March seven hundred and sixty something of uh, the year twenty twenty. So, but good news uh, for you. Good news for you. Good news for you. Working in retail, no more mask mandate. As oh, someone, yeah. as someone in Save One Foods announced to me, the cashier in Save One Foods said, "Welcome to TF Five Friday," and as I, I like to call it, Freedom Friday. And I'm like, first of all. Please, can I just buy these three things without a conversation? Which is, this is a very Canadian thing to engage in conversation when I'm just trying to buy things. Second of all, what are you talking about? I had a bad day Friday and I wasn't in the best like headspace. And so this poor guy who was clearly, I think he just started. And, you know, when, I don't know if you find this map, but when retail workers just start, they really want to be friends with everyone. 
and they talk too much. And he was like, well, it's, I got to get freedom Friday because no more masks. And I'm like, freedom from what? <laughs> like I went yeah. Batman. <laughs> freedom, freedom from what? Tell me. And he's like, um, um, cause I don't like wearing the mask. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and then he, he got really uncomfortable and I just bought my stuff. Thank you. I just like, and he actually said, thanks. I, I really like helping people. <laughs> and I said, uh-huh. And just, I'm just, yeah. I don't know. I work in a place that's obviously customer facing, but we're actually, you know, the mask mandate in British Columbia is now ended and that's a whole other discussion, but where I work, we're still required to wear them for at least a month. So good. Uh, I'm never taking mine off. Yeah, I mean, honestly, our customers are not, but uh, I, I doubt anyone will see my face at work for some time to come. Wait, so. are, you, are you keeping it on for a month? Is that just for staff, or are you is that a store policy for customers too, or is that just for? So you? it's company wide for employees. We're not allowed oh, to employees. enforce. We're not allowed to enforce it for customers anymore. I mean, you could enforce it because you're a private. It's private property in theory, right? Yeah, I mean, we could, but we're not doing. Right. So, <laughs> right. so heaven forbid yeah yeah okay. um but no it's fine it's uh, it's it's fine i didn't have a particularly good or bad week i just had a long one where i existed and was exhausted <laughs> so in my continuing wow. existential crisis <laughs> existence uh, is exhausting by matt yeah. Simpson, volume yeah. one <laughs> yeah it's uh well i mean to be fair just I think this first came out of the podcast last week. So this is volume two, if we're going to be fair about it. <laughs> it's uh, true. But yes, my soul is drenched in ennui. You know, that's where I'm at <laughs> in life. Um, but at least I got to watch some good movies. So there's that. Yes. And we're going to talk yeah. about two of them today. How's that for a second? We are. It is. It is. Shall we dive right into yeah. the story of the West Side? Ah, uh, yes, the West Side so story. So we spoke about this back when it was new, and I got to see it in a theater, and you've now seen it on Disney+. Plus. I had planned to rewatch, but did not. Um, but at the time, I rewatched the original and then went straight to the new one, and I thought that was a good choice. Did you do the same? Um, I Coincidentally, we watched the original about six months ago with my family, and so it was still pretty fresh. Um like I'm a, I'm a theater kid as as I'm sure many of you know. West Side Story is one of my absolute favorite musicals. So, I, I think Spielberg's the greatest living film director. So this was the film that almost got me back in cinemas. I didn't go and see it in the cinema. Um, actually, <laughs> the film I did go and see instead of this in the cinema was Sing Two with my daughter, who guilt tripped me into going to see Sing Two in the cinema. Luckily, there was no one else in it. Um, but I missed out on seeing this in the cinema so I could see Sing 2. Uh, quick review of Sing 2. It's terrible. And the world is saved by a U2 song. Just to rub it in how bad that movie is. But anyway, um, so I was really, really happy for it to pop up on Disney+. And uh, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. And very different from the original. And how you like your musicals is going to dictate how you like this movie because they're both masterpieces and they have two different approaches to the material. And some people are going to like that and some people just are not. And uh, I think they can both coexist, but they're very different approaches. I'm not sure if you're speaking about the 
just a filmmaking approach or just the uh, more social approaches to the fact no. of the new one? Oh, no, no. I'm not the, like the social additions. I mean, the, you look at the the people involved in this. You've got Spielberg, obviously, and you've got... Um, oh, God, I've forgotten his name. Um, he just died recently. The, the, the composer, the, the lyricist. Oh, my God. Oh. Sondheim. Sondheim. So, yeah, Stephen Christ. Sondheim. Yep. My brain went. So you got Sondheim, who who before he sadly died was was working with Spielberg with us. You've got Tony Kushner, Angels in America, doing the script. Like, um, th- this is like high level, and so of course we we're going to see some more uh, social issues, and and it's a lot harder, not not like harder to watch, but hard hitting. Like there's certain aspects in New West Side Story that are alluded to in the original and they are very much uh, challenged in this, in a very, very good way. Like Tony Kushner is a brilliant scriptwriter, mm-hmm. but I, I'm actually talking about the approach to filming a musical. So the original West Side Story, as many films and definitely musicals of that time were stage plays that were filmed and the dialogue is performed as theatrical dialogue. The difference between theatrical dialogue and filmic dialogue is theatrical dialogue is uh, is bigger. It has more projection and because it needs to be. And what I found really, really interesting is that Spielberg's West Side Story is a filmmaker making a film of a musical. Yeah, that that's a good way sense? to put it. You know what it's I mean? A, I mean, my impression at the time that I saw it, and I think I said this, I didn't listen to our old episode about it, but my impression is that it's a much more cinematic version of the material. It's mm-hmm. clearly made by, not to say that the people who made the 1961 version weren't great filmmakers. Robert Wise had a bunch of Best Picture Academy Award statues. And Ernest uh, Lehman also, like he had like six nominations for Best Screenplay. Like there was there was some pedigree there too. But this was very much... I think the styles of acting have changed a lot and the styles of filmmaking have changed a lot um, mm-hmm. just from being more stagey to more what we now call cinematic. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is much more a film first than it was then, even though I think that, you know, there's definitely more than just pointing a camera at the stage play in the 1961 mm-hmm. one, but there's, this mm-hmm. is definitely more, you know, blocking and camera movements considered yeah. earlier uh, and more, thoughtfully in this absolutely. one for sure. A- absolutely and you can see it it um the the biggest difference is in the dialogue scenes and the the dialogue scenes are much quieter they have much slower pace the whole thing is kind of less goofy like the original west side story the gangs are kind of goofy right especially the jets they're these like red-headed boys who are kind of adolescent idiots and that suits the story really really well because the whole thing is is, is that classic tragedy romeo and juliet's our tragedy of what what do we die for like why are we killing each other for this there's that it's not worth it and um that the spielberg version is uh by its nature is a lot harder in the way it treats the members of the um the jets and the sharks that they are a lot more dangerous they're a lot less kind of goofball-y and that style it is slightly darker. I don't mean in, in tone. I mean in, in, in like 
subject matter and how it deals with the stories because it is more filmic and when it comes to filming a film like there's no one who can do it like Spielberg there's some of the shots I mean outside of the dialogue is one thing when it comes to the choreography and the filming of the dances there's like open mouth gasping at much of this movie it's mm-hmm. not just not just the way he moves the camera. Like if you you've seen the clip online, I'm sure of how that long take of it sweeping through the dance when they first go to the dance, and uh, they go through the corridor and then the doors open and it, and it just sweeps through and then turns around and comes back. Like it's just incredible cinematography, incredible direction. But the framing of things popping into frame, like Spielberg has got a very specific way of framing stuff. Like if you mm-hmm. think of Indiana Jones, you think of Jurassic Park, Tintin as well. I think Tintin is one of his best movies because the way he frames things moving into frame is second to none. And you, if you watch, um, we talked about this, I think yesterday, the, the song Cool, when, when um, Tony's trying to convince Riff not to go to the fight. And there's a couple of times where the, the gun and the head sort of, frame things behind them and they pop into frame just amazing amazing filmmaking and Spielberg absolutely at his best and you can tell that this is his passion project since he was a kid I mean he dedicated the whole movie to his dad like he's been very open that this is the movie he's been wanting to make his whole life and you can Mm -hmm. kind of see it like it's it's right there on the screen and um it's stellar I'm not sure I'm still not sure about the lower key dialogue scenes, the more cinematic dialogue scenes. If I prefer the more, uh, the slightly larger theatrical style acting in the original or the filmic acting, but I, I actually don't think one is better than the other. I think they're just two very different styles and they both work brilliantly in two different ways. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? No, I do. Um, I think they're both, I think a, I think a more specific way that I might frame it is that they're both very much of their time, both in terms of the filmmaking and in terms of the sort of uh, more socially uh, oriented changes. Um, you know, whereas the if you look at the filmmaking in the nineteen sixty one one, it's very it is it's not again it's not really just pointing a, a camera at a musical. There's definitely some very deliberate camera motions. Like Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins are very good at moving a camera in and amongst dancers, especially. Um, I think, I still think that the, um, the, the opening to the 1961 one, the 1961 version is just by itself is a, would be a brilliant short film of just these two gangs sort mm, of like yeah. wordlessly yeah. hustling for territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like in 1961, we just weren't, we didn't, we, we were just, we were just more racist, basically, is the way <laughs> to say it, right? Like I was about to say, we weren't socially conscious, but no, we were just more racist. And the new version makes, makes some of the differences between the sharks and the jets mm-hmm. more clear and more reasonable and, um, I think that that's very much a product of, you know, being in 1961 versus 2021. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's all, I think they both exist as sort of, I think they're probably both masterpieces. And then one is a masterpiece from 1961 and one is a masterpiece from 2021. You know, you're totally right. In terms of the 
the show the social commentary like we just have a very different focus i think we're more like generally more eager to confront these things head on rather than it just being a story point in the original um and it's uh what i find interesting in terms of the acting style though is that if you compare this to say tick tick boom which is a brilliant musical by lin-manuel miranda so some who also knows his theater very very well I'd say Tick, Tick, Boom is more of a, the whole thing is more of a theatrical performance. Like the dialogue scenes are more theatrical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and if you compare those two, you can see the bigger difference with Spielberg's West Side Story, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, but the, um, you're totally right in terms of the, the, the consciousness of its social issues, but also the, the danger inherent in the racism is is not just about stabbing like the um the the scene where anita comes to docs to try and find tony or or in this version valentina um to tell tony the message and she gets locked in and and there's it, it goes from just being jostling to what is heavily inferred to be the beginning of a gang rape like mm-hmm. with the girls pounding on the outside trying to get in like that is gut-wrenching mm-hmm. like absolutely gut-wrenching and and uh the rita marino's character so instead of doc being an old instead of doc being doc they've got rita marino playing doc's uh puerto rico and wife and i think they've done that really really cleverly i thought it was a really clever switch around and to give her somewhere as well instead of tony singing it i thought it was mm-hmm. just beautiful really beautiful and when she breaks up that fight, and of course she played that character in the original, and now she comes out and breaks up the fight. And she she has this amazing moment where she says, I I saw you all grow up and I you've all grown up into rapists and just walks out. Like it's really heavy hitting. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really successful, actually. And not not over the top felt really um really uh targeted and mm-hmm. and well well done. Yeah, I mean, even the even the opening of this one, I, I mentioned before that the the opening of the 1961 version, these two gangs that are sort of hustling, it's it's you know it's a word it's a dance it's a wordless mm-hmm. dance where they're hustling for territory. Um, the opening of the new one follows just mostly just the jets as they sort yeah. of assemble, and and you don't really know where they're going, but they're assembling and they're they're grabbing different implements, and where they're going, they end up at a basketball court and they deface a Puerto Rican mural. Mm-hmm. Like that alone sets the tone for how things are going to be uh, mm-hmm. in the film, and I think it's I think it's far more successful as a result. Uh, I think it's a very yeah. interesting and appropriate choice that it's also made clear that all of the jets are just the the you know the wayward sons of drunken Irish laborers, whereas all of the sharks have jobs and careers and other things going on in their lives. Like they're, you know, the implication being that they're, you know, more, despite being called lazy and and freeloaders and all the stuff that they're called in the film, they're actually more hardworking and they're more community minded. And it's, um, I think it feels very, especially after the last five years, it feels very targeted. And then just the choice that all of the Spanish in the new version is, first off, they're Spanish. And second off, none of it is subtitles. And mm. I think that's also a pretty big flex. And I do remember that when someone questioned him about it, Spielberg literally just said, well, we're a bilingual country. So 
mm-hmm. why would I subtitle it? But you know, I kind of respect that kind of flex. Yeah, so I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily play as well outside of America, where you know we're a bilingual country, but one of them isn't Spanish. Yeah, but and I think you know, having grown up with French and and learned a bit of Italian, and you know, I I think that I have a bit of an advantage and that I don't necessarily need the subtitles, but I I imagine it's hard for some, but I think. You know, an American production of an American story in America, I think it's a pretty pointed choice, and I and I kind of respect it a lot. Yeah. So, I out of everything that happened, every choice in that movie, that's the one I thought about the most. Um, so, before I get into this, I think it's really important to remind everyone that Steven Spielberg is the greatest living filmmaker, and his decisions and opinions are correct, <laughs> even when I. <laughs> Even when I say I don't think this was the right thing to do, he is right <laughs> because he's Steven Spielberg. So, but I, I'm in two minds about this. First of all, I, I you're totally right. It's a massive flex. It says a lot about uh, integration and learning things outside of your box. And of course, in America, there's a, it's another social comment. Um. I th- also think you don't need to, like, I've taught English for a long, long time. I've, speak, I've taught many, many different languages English, and I've heard many different languages. And what's really apparent is that you don't need to know a language to understand what people are talking about if you can mm-hmm. see them. Like, if you can see them and you understand the context, you, you can kind of get it. However, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, as a writer and a storyteller, I think it's equally important that your viewer gets what you're trying to say, what your characters are saying, because my Spanish is not great, but I actually understand Spanish more than like French because I've taught so many, <laughs> I've taught like, like Spanish speakers for over 10 years and they always want to speak Spanish. It is such a beautiful language. I love Spanish more than any other language. I just love listening to it. And for some reason, maybe it's just through immersion, I find it easier to understand than people speaking French or German or or anything else. So I could kind of get what was going on, but I found frustrated. Like, I wanted to know. Like, that moment when, um, oh, oh, sorry, I've forgotten the character's name. Um, uh, Chino. When Chino walks in after Bernardo, um, Bernardo's dead, and he walks into the remains of the sharks, and they have this really impassioned conversation because Chino's got a gun and he's calling them, he calls uh, Bernardo an idiot for, for dying in this way. For, he calls him a fool. Like, that was, I would say about 90% of that whole conversation is in Spanish. And I was really wanting to know everything they were saying because they were, there was some great acting going on and it just sounded amazing. But I think there's a balance between making a point and telling your story. And I don't think the balance was correct in some of this movie. A reminder, Spielberg's right, but (laughs) I, I, I know why he did it. I get why he did it. I think it's a really important point to make about not assuming everything will default into English because there's more Spanish speakers now anyway. But um, I wanted to know every element of this story that I was really in love with. And um, I think that maybe subtitles or 
a more balance of English over the Spanish, just so I don't miss anything. That's See, I sort of, on this. I sort of disagree, if only because the tools are there for us to find out what they were saying in Spanish, and especially in a place like New York, where Spanish is effectively the dominant language. And there's lots of people who speak Spanish who struggle with English who don't get the same considerations. I think mm-hmm. that uh, I'm sort of fine with it. I'm fine with it. I think it's, the, I think I think it's an that, important way to, to do things because, like I say, like if you go to New York, like even just going to – even just watch base, like New York baseball games, like everything is there in Spanish and English and usually in that order as well. If you look closely, mm-hmm. a lot of the like uh, URLs that are in the background or the advertising, there's, there's Spanish first. And I think um, – and it's it's tougher being in Canada in a place where we're just not expected to know it. Yeah. But and, at this and, point, I think in, in America, I think it's sort of part of the point is that really, if you live in America in 2021, maybe you should know it, you know, like it's. Yeah. No, these are all valid um, points. Absolutely. These are all valid points. And, and it's a valid way to make that point. I really totally get that. But I mean, I'm. It's hard as a Canadian, but it's also it's harder as an English person because we do not value learning languages like you guys do. Like at least you have two official languages, so you understand the concept of changing one language to another. We grew up in England thinking English English is the default. I I remember asking my dad. I remember this really clearly. Why are there other languages if they just get translated into English anyway? Why not just everyone speak English? Why bother having different languages? And that's our attitude. Like we, we go so abroad I'm actually, and we shout in the, things. <laughs> so in, in this moment, I'm actually a lot more curious about what your father said to that rather than why you asked it as a kid. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a pretty uh, – that's like as you having a child be like, why are there other languages? is a perfectly reasonable thing. But then I'm really curious <laughs> to find out what your father said to that. Because that says a lot more about British attitudes than the kid asking the question. No, I <laughs> – I well, not to dad, put your father on the spot. No, absolutely. <laughs> that to be fair, like my dad's, my dad worked as an agricultural journalist for thirty odd years, and he spent most of that time traveling to different countries. He's been to every country in the world to look at pigs, basically. Um, and his, I love listening to him. He speaks Spanish, he speaks French, he speaks German, but he speaks them all like nineteen uh, forties English man, like Denham Elliot in Indiana Jones. Like you know when Denim Elliott gets lost in the third Indiana Jones movie? Yep. He's like, oh, does anyone speak ancient Arabic? Like that's my dad completely. He's like <laughs> he, every language is in a British accent. And so I, I'm sure, I am positive he explained to me that English is not the default because I, I would have remembered that answer. But certainly when I'm at school, like it's just the general British attitude of like you you have to learn French, you know, in case we fight them again or something. I don't know. And um, I I learned a bit of German as well. But really, the 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 importance of different languages wasn't jumped in until I, I moved out of England. Certainly, even some time in Wales. But so my point is, <laughs> I think that my my point is I I'm still sort of struggling with is I miss some of this movie because I didn't speak the language and a decision was made to not tell me some of this movie in the bare, in the basis terms. Now I know why he did it. I agree why he did it. I think it's a fantastic way to make that point, but I still miss some of this movie. And that's really where I am right now. 
Like, but I th- I, and I'm just saying, I think that might actually be the point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm I, saying, right? And I'm not sure. I, I, yeah. And I get I mean, and every, I, everyone's I think, right, I the, but I, I don't know how I feel about that. I think. The, you know I, mean? I think the point is that for people like you and I, uh, and especially people like you and I in America, and for the record, I'm six foot five and white and blonde. <laughs> and, You're and very. Sun. And Simon is what six foot tall and and the most British you can imagine, except he has good teeth, um, dark and handsome. Yeah, um, and and we are you know in 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 filmmaking we are the default, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the 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 choice to exclude us is not a choice for everyone else, right? It's just yeah. if you happen to be a Spanish language speaker and you go to a film in America, they're not generally going to speak Spanish, even though yeah. there's probably there's more of you than there are of them. So yeah. I think the point is that we are that we are made uncomfortable and uh, that discomfort hopefully sparks change. Hey, do you know so. the really good thing about this actually is that my, my daughter's watched, uh, she won't watch past the rumble. She doesn't want nice people to die. And my wife's in the same position, but my daughter's now after watching West Side Story started asking me a lot about how does she learn Spanish? How mm-hmm. like she wants to learn Spanish, she wants to be able to communicate with people, and so hell, like <laughs> that's the point well made, right? She, she, I was really curious how she would get on with it. She didn't ask once, like, why do I not understand this? She, her response was, How do I learn Spanish? and I think that's yeah. really awesome, that's really cool. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that Duolingo exists, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. But I mean, the, the the film's a masterpiece from front to back. I, I loved it. It's um, one of the biggest surprises for me. Actually, was Ansel Elgort. Is it? Which... Sorry, is that um, Freud? Is that your dog running um, around in the background? So my Freud, my dog has just come back, and um, my couch is maybe one inch higher than his little old legs can can propel. So he's been trying to throw himself up onto the couch, but now he's succeeded, and he's about to go to sleep. Okay. So yes, that, that was my dog. Um, so the biggest surprise for you, Ansel Elcourt, who I, uh, for me, he's a bit of a personality vacuum, and he's in the same camp as um, Taylor Kirsch and uh, Miles Teller for me. Like, uh, I, I actively try to avoid movies. Like, I don't think he was great in Baby Driver. I think he's a bit of a blank slate. And what I was really surprised about in this movie is how much. Marlon Brando swagger, like guys and dolls swagger, he has in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like he he has he really impressed me in this. He was maybe because I went in with very low opinions of him. I mean, he's he's problematic person. If certain certain things have come to light with how he deals with certain people that are not necessarily great. And you can just say that he's he's been accused of of sexual misconduct. You can just I, say I that. I couldn't remember the details actually. I knew it was something horrible, but I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, research it again. Um, yeah, he's been accused of so, sexual misconduct and and grooming younger women. Oh, that's of, right. Of doing yeah. thing, and it's it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. And, uh, from what I understand, that's the just... film was sort of too far along to yeah. and too too involved to recast or redo anything by the time it came out. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame because a lot of people didn't go see it because of that, and it's, I, I get it, but it's a shame that this kind of masterpiece is affected that way. But I, I thought he was good in this. Uh, there's some emotional reactions which are a bit off, but um, 
I thought he was good. He had good swagger. He had uh, he can he can sing. He can dance. Uh, these are things that really surprised me. But the the rest of the cast are beyond stellar. Like of course, when you're Spielberg making West Side Story, you can pick whoever you want, and the people he picked for this. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Rachel, Rachel Zegler, who plays Maria, this is her first film role. So I'd love mm-hmm. to know her background. But he also went for Ariana. I don't know how to say her last name. Is it Debose? Debose? Debose. I think it's Debose. Ariana Debose, who, um, if you've watched Hamilton on Disney Plus, she Debose. She is the one of the ensemble, and she plays. Uh, she's really striking in that she's got this first of all amazing like look about her, but she plays the. Um, the bullet as well and she she whispers there's a wonderful scene where she whispers uh information into the king's ear and she's great stunning in that she's also fantastic in schmigadoon as the uh school mistress mm-hmm. but she's oscar nominated for this because she and with very good reason because she's just mind-blowing like the her focus and not just the fact she can sing and dance and act but she, her face is just it's addictive. Whenever she's on screen, you just can't look away. And she goes from the high highs in the dance to the very low lows in when she's locked into docks with all the, the jets. She's just stellar. And I thought everyone else was fantastic, like without any exception. Corey Stoll was brilliant as um, Lieutenant Kropke as well. And uh, Rita Marino, who I really haven't seen in anything was amazing and i believe she's been nominated for an oscar too uh no she won the oscar in 1961 for the same role for uh, as anita she's not been nominated this year no oh my mistake i must have misread that but she's fantastic in this and and they as i mentioned earlier they've given her uh, a part uh, they've rejected the doc role to make it valentina she's amazing in it and when she sings somewhere it's just so moving it really really is yeah um but everyone's fantastic yeah i mean there's no one who's uh i like my only disagreement with you is that i think that ansel elgort is fine mm. uh yeah. whereas everyone else is great <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah no. I, and, I, I i don't uh, really disagree with that to be fair yeah um i mean i don't know what else is, i mean it is a masterpiece i think that all of the choices to rework where there's certain songs that are in different places. I think the, the most, the best example of that is the the place where the song cool comes in. This one is a better choice mm-hmm. than where it comes in the 1961 version. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 1961 version, it's after the rumble and it's about ice taking over his leadership of the, mm-hmm. of the jets. And it's about trying to get them to sort of like calm down and play it cool. Whereas in this version, it's um, Tony trying to convince Riff not to go to the Rumble at all, and I think it's a much yeah, it it's a much better much and more Im- impactful moment yeah. in the story. And yeah. pretty much all the choices like that are the correct choices, I would say. Not that the original is bad in any way, but yeah. uh, I think that it's it's better. <laughs> there's, uh, one. I, I would say I think I prefer the ending of the original better. Just because it does that, it takes a bit more time with Natalie Wood's um, emotional reaction to Tony dying, and um, it does that theatrical thing where the it's the emotional climax where the good person has died. So they just bring out 
everyone to stand up like a greek chorus to stand around and then walk away one by one leaving just the like that's a very emotional ending i get much more emotional at the ending of the original west side story than spielberg's it just seemed to go Mm -hmm. a lot faster but i i'm a sucker for that very theatrical ensemble like grief moment that yeah it's 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 a classic bit of theater directing and i think it works really really well and i think i prefer that but that I think, really it. I mean, the other big choice in this film that we haven't really, we sort of danced around but haven't really talked about is the fact that all of the Puerto Rican people are played by people of color and not white people in, in <laughs> brown face. And I think that's yes. also worth mentioning. <laughs> I mean, Maria oh. Wood is not Puerto Rican. <laughs> um, uh, I can't remember good. his name, Natalie Wood. Uh, but also, like, uh, they're all, they're all, you know, yeah. They're all people of color, and there's also representation of multiple, um, multiple different, you know, kinds of people of color. Like Ariana DeBose is Afro Latina, uh, mm. and they're not just all just the same color beige. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, there's yes, there's yeah. a there's a, a spectrum. It's a, it's important. It's an important point that we sort of glanced over, but and it plays I into the whole so. Spanish thing. But it, like you yeah. Can... But Bernardo's very much made up when you go from when you rewatch the original at the beginning and i do i do love the beginning with the the ballet dance off between the jets and the sharks but yeah, when bernardo's but, but that, there but that dude is very <laughs> that dude is greek in real life he's greek american it's it's a lot <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> it's, um so yeah i mean overall i think that this again i think part of that's being a product of its time but also mm-hmm. i think this film mm-hmm does a lot better job of being like some of the shit was wrong. Like let's correct mm-hmm. some of the mistakes of the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's a shame that ultimately I think it's considered a box office flop, right? Yeah. Like it's a hundred yeah. million dollar budget and only 75 or so million dollars at the box office. And you can write off some of that to it being released at the head of the Omicron wave Mm-hmm. right like just as that way was cresting but also the prevailing it's funny actually because the prevailing attitude at least on social media at the time was why would i see this why would they remake it why 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 would we do this and now yeah. that it's on disney plus the prevailing social media is look at this amazing camera work look at these dance <laughs> yeah. numbers look how colorful it is and it's like you idiots like yeah just go see the goddamn movie you know what I, I, mean? I think like, i think musicals are hard to sell for theatrical like anyway i don't think there's a big contingent of people who just won't see musicals we know a couple like and i, I think like going back to schmigadoon i think that's what it did really really well is that it was a a series about musicals made by people who love musicals made for people who hate them and i think there's just people who are like oh it's musical no i'm not going to watch people sing their feelings <laughs> yeah. and that's fair that's completely fair because uh, I, I had a good friend at university who just like would never ever go and see musical. He's just so bored by them, and and I think you've got to buy into that as a stylistic choice. And it's fine if you don't, but um, yeah, I think it was a, a a combination of bad luck, really. But I'm glad people are getting to see it now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the benefits of being a bit of a box office dud is that it went straight to streaming. Like no one's had to really pay anything extra to watch this thing and it's uh, yeah but also that just happens now too right like it just yeah it's a it's a longer conversation that certainly is but it it is fantastic it's a masterpiece it is really nice actually 
how for all the crowd like why bother remaking a classic and like this is how you remake a classic he spielberg very much could have just done almost a shot for shot for this and just made it another west side story Mm -hmm. (laughs) he should have called it another west side story another west side story um but he (laughs) it is every ounce every second of this has been reconceived to bring out the story on a different level and it really shows yeah and you know as of today um we are now two weeks away from this year's oscars where this movie is up for best picture director supporting actress cinematography costume design production design and sound um some of which you'll be able to see live in the broadcast um which is just you know let's not get into it but um and i think it's you know it's a it's a deserving nominee in every category that it's nominated in Uh, i'm gonna be I'm going to be furious if it doesn't win all of them. Just a heads up for you now. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't. Is it... Having seen most of the films, I honestly don't expect it to win most of them. However, um, I think it's a mm-hmm. deserving nominee in every category. It's not. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. thoughts as to what's probably going to win, what's not. I think the only one that it might be a lock for is I think that. Ariana DeBose is probably a lock for Best Supporting Actress. Probably. Oh, I, I really hope so. Probably. Yeah. Um, but I think... It's a, shame, it, um, it's a shame Rachel Zegler didn't get a nomination, I think. Uh, she won a Golden Globe, which is something. Um, yeah. But, uh, and Mike uh, Mike Faced, Fast, whatever his name is, the guy who plays Riff. Oh, yeah. Um, Faced, I believe his name is, Mike Faced. He won a BAFTA for Best Supporting Actor as well. Yeah. Oh, he's. Uh, I think he's fantastic and probably should have had more award representation as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just so. love the. Uh, the uh, Oh, God. What's the name of the song that Anita sings to Maria um, in, in the You'll bedroom? Have to last be... she, after she spots Tony leaving out the window and she's like, she's one of your own. I can't remember what that song's called. And in the yeah. original, they're kind of smiling at each other. It's a lot less emotive in the original. And in this one, there is so much fury between them. And that and Rachel Zegler has a wonderful moment where she says, like, in song, I'm not gonna sing, but Anita, you should know better. You've you've loved too. And just the fury that comes out of this girl, and she's so young, uh, and just brilliantly reconceived. I thought it was much better, actually, in Spielberg's version. I think that's called a, a boy like that. A boy like that, sure. A boy like yeah. that, or I have a... Hang on, I'm Googling. Yeah, yeah it's called a boy, a boy like that. I have yeah. a Yeah, just, um, just fantastic. And when they're doing the split harmony over each other, it's just the emotion between those two actresses was incredible. Really great. Yeah, that's, I mean, we talk go back to talking about sort of stagey versus cinematic. One of the ways mm-hmm. the film is more cinematic is that it's far more believably emotive. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, not to say that stage acting is not believable, but it's just more stagey. It's bigger. Bigger is the way to describe it, right? It's, Absolutely. It's, it's a different. Uh, it's a very. It's a different style of acting. Absolutely. And I've taught both, and I've done both, and I appreciate both. And uh, it's it gives a very different feel to something. To have a, th- it's really interesting actually having a theatrical acting style version versus Spielberg's very cinematic style, and you can really see the differences between them, mm-hmm. and they're both brilliant in their own way. Yeah, true. So, 
Oh, I quite uh, liked it. <laughs> probably, what, five, I'm guessing, what, five out of five? Yeah, I mean, the, there's not a universe where this is not a five out of five movie. You're going to give it four now, aren't you? Uh, you know, I can't remember what I gave it before, but I think I gave it a four. Yeah, you did. Probably gave it a four. Um, and I think that holds. I think as much as I love this movie a lot, uh, yeah, I gave it a four. Um, I think there's other films I would say are the best picture of the year over it. Um, but it's are you gonna say Power of the Dog? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am actually. <laughs> That's a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I think. I think the, I, either way, I think the award is the power of the dogs to lose at this point. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's um, becoming quite clear, isn't it? But honestly, I've seen most of the Best Picture nominees at this point. Uh, there's only one, three I think I haven't seen, and only one that's still not available to me. And of, so, of the seven that I've seen, like, there's only one that I would say doesn't even is bad. There's one that only one that I would be like, why is this in the Best Picture category? Is Drive um, My Car in Best Picture? It is, yes. Have you seen that yet? No. Um, okay. We are hopefully going to watch it soon. But it's uh, yeah. we've uh, we've been, been been busy around the Simpson household, and it's a three hour commitment. So yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, um, and it's just yeah. We I'm gonna you know the awards are in two weeks, so we're definitely gonna make an effort to. Mm-hmm. I want to have seen them all, but uh, Nightmare Alley still I don't think is available, or if it is, it's only available on a platform we don't have. Talking of so, awards, the the BAFTAs are on right now. Do, were you aware of that? The British Academy Film and Television Awards. And the BAFTAs are on this right second now. right now. I've just put BBC on via my Vupin, and oh. uh, things are things are winning things. Oh. Well, isn't um, that lovely? Yes, I'm sure we'll talk about that maybe next week. Yeah, so, should we probably. go on to our next our next movie? Yes, that's an awkward segue. So let's take it. Um, <laughs> that's the best i got i'm sorry yeah um so we're gonna move on to the latest netflix blockbuster which is the sean levy directed ryan reynolds starring the adam project and this is going to be an interesting conversation folks because i think one of us loved this movie and the other one thought it was almost fine yeah so and we haven't talked about it ahead of time like no so here we go with the Adam Project. <laughs> uh, so, Simon, of the two of the one of us who loved this film, why don't you give us a crack at giving us a quick rundown on the Adam Project? So, the Adam Project is a family time traveling adventure movie, uh, and I think Sean Levy is one of the best directors for that particular genre, that kind of early teen fantastical. Uh, like Night of, the, Night of the Museum 1, 2, and 3, obviously. I haven't seen Real Still. Uh, he's done other stuff. Um, but this is another great family adventure from him. And basically, uh, it's Ryan Reynolds going back in time to try and stop something from happening because it makes things bad. And he accidentally, instead of going to the time he needs to go to, he goes through a series of hilarious events. He goes to a time um, where he... Um, he goes to 2020 instead of 2018, and he meets his eight, eight, right? Eight-year-old. Yeah, so he, eight, he's shooting to fly. Self. He's from 2050. He's shooting to go back to 2018 to speak to his father, and he ends up in 2022 speaking to his 12-year-old self. 
And unfortunately, this is not a spoiler, but his father's dead at that point. Yeah, and in, so. in 2022, his father's passed on. Right. So um, he uh, needs to fix his ship, and he needs to get back to 2018 and try and stop this horrific thing from happening. And um, I, I, uh, your love of this movie is going to completely depend on how you feel about Ryan Reynolds' shtick in Full yeah, Flight. How you, how you feel about an eight-year-old boy mirroring and parroting Ryan Reynolds' eight-year-old shtick. Twelve-year-old, uh, but yes. Is he twelve? Sorry, twelve. He's twelve. Um, yeah. He's twelve. If you are okay with that, then you're going to be fine. If for any reason you're kind of a bit tired of that, this movie is going to rub you up the wrong way because it doesn't. It has two versions of Ryan Reynolds, and they both try and do the shtick. In fact, for the kid, it's a defining factor that he can't shut up and he's really mouthy, and um, it, it sometimes it works. And uh, I would say I would guess that your reaction to this film is that it the shtick didn't work for you. That would be my guess. Actually, that's not it at all. Oh, okay. Um, Fantastic. Tell, tell me about it. So, for me, my issues are... I actually think that... So, the kid, whose name is Walker Scobell, he's actually really, really good. And it's his first acting... Not just his first film role. It's his first time acting ever. He sent right. in an audition tape and got the part, which is incredible. And apparently... Oh. the def- And he's so good at being young Ryan Reynolds. And apparently mm-hmm. the, the thing that clinched the role for him is that at the age of 11, he has memorized the Deadpool movies. He can literally recite them verbatim. And there's been <laughs> some social media clips of Ryan Reynolds, like just like videoing this kid doing the movie. And it's pretty amazing. Oh, I haven't seen that. Cool. Um, I think that him and Ryan Reynolds have a very good and interesting chemistry as, you know, they're the same character, but they're basically like, you know, little brother, big brother type dynamic, and it works really well. Um, I think that um, Mark Ruffalo, who plays their father in 2018, is brings a certain emotionality to the proceedings that is welcome, given that Ryan Reynolds' whole shtick is that he doesn't really give a shit about anything. You know, he's always sarcastic. He's always aloof, right? Like, that's his whole thing. So having another mm-hmm. character there to be the one who cares about shit is good. Uh, And I think Mark Ruffalo is really good at that. I think that this movie at 97 minutes long lacks a lot of the connective tissue that would make parts of it make sense and would make the parts that are still mostly resonant, more resonant personally. Also, there's some really dodgy effects towards the end, but that's really, that's (laughs) very nitpicky. But <laughs> it would be fine. Uh, if, it would be fine if the effects weren't absolutely central to one of the uh, characters. Yeah. <laughs> if it if it was just a bit of dodgy compositing, then as there is, then it's fine. But there is a decision made, and um, the tech that they used was not up to that decision uh, at Which all. Is funny. Because I was just reading the production notes, and apparently they brought in the same company that did it for Marvel, and that did the the digital body doubling for the social network. So like the pedigree is there, what? but it just really? didn't, didn't work out. So, cause it's not good. 
It's horrific. But, but that's a pretty minor, <laughs> for me, honestly, that's a pretty minor point when you consider that the back half of the movie basically, even though it's the part where Mark Ruffalo shows up to bring emotional stakes, it stops trying to pay off any of the emotional stakes that's set up in the first half. And, you know, Jennifer Gardner, who plays uh, the character's mother, has some really important scenes at the beginning of set up with the kid. And then there's a really great scene, I thought, uh, at the Blarney Stone, which is a Vancouver local haunt, where she goes for a drink and Ryan Reynolds is there to be like, you know, your kid doesn't hate you. And it's a really emotional and well done scene, I thought. But then she just disappears from the movie from that point on. Right? Like, she's not there until again, until the end even though they're still in the present for a good long time. And it's also just like they, Ryan Reynolds and Sean Levy got together and said, what's your, what's your favorite eighties movie stuff? And they were just, then they just brainstormed and it went, uh, lightsabers and hoverboards and time travel. And they just made a movie. That's all of those things. And I don't know. I found it to be kind of hollow, especially towards the end. I, you know, I, I just didn't, I really, it's, I, it's frustrating because there's parts of it that I really liked and I really wanted to love it. And I just don't, you know, Interesting. Man, uh, I have a completely different reaction to it. Well, here's, here's a good point. Like the movie is littered with uh, late seventies and early eighties needle drops, which is obviously they were like, yeah, we should do that guardians of the galaxy thing, which isn't a bad thing, but, and if you're paying attention, I suppose you can pick up that the reason there's all these needle drops is because Mark Ruffalo's character is a big fan of that music and they, you know, the, and the main character has these daddy issues, but there's no scene that makes that clear at any point. There's no scene of Mark Ruffalo listening to music at any point. We're told that the reason that he's coming back in time, that, that Ryan Reynolds is coming back in time is that the future is a dystopia. It's Terminator 2 on a good day. But we never see that future. We're never given any reason to really give a shit about it. And there's a scene towards the end where that is, I, I don't want to spoil it too badly, but there's a scene towards the end, which is the big climactic scene where one character says, you didn't understand this. And the other person says, you didn't understand that. And I'm deliberately trying to be vague, so it's not going to be a well-made point. But there's no reason for us to understand or care why character B quote doesn't understand that you know like a lot of the like really small moments that would have made this movie great are missing a lot of the moments that would give the the story the context it needs to be great are missing and because they're missing the story lacks something and it ends up feeling hollow and that's my problem with the film interesting so i I was a lot more comfortable with a lot of that. Yeah, you're totally right. They don't they don't show the future, but I was in a position just to accept like it's really bad. I'm just being told it's really bad. I don't I didn't necessarily need to see it. And the for me the emotional payoff at the end was actually quite strong in terms of the the father working out like Ruffalo's character working out what he meant to his kids and the kids working out what the father meant. Um, even though their opinion of him was that he was off working all the time or how much he cared for them and how much he loved them. 
And I thought it said a lot about memory and, and how we remember things a certain way. And mm-hmm. all the the it's interesting how the all these story elements like like sabers and hoverboards and all the sci-fi stuff. Like I I just really enjoyed all of those elements for what they were. I don't I, I don't think I was quite as cynical about their additions in that um I think they all worked really, really well because like the lightsaber thing was was interesting because it was very much a lightsaber, but they used it as a joke for the, the kid to kind of when he first picks up the stick, it's like, is this a lightsaber? And old arrival was like, no, it's not a lightsaber. And then that pays off later when it's clearly uh, some kind of electro tool lightsaber. Yeah. So little things like that worked for me. The I loved the um the comment on on people being fated to meet each other as well because his Zoe Saldana, who's not in it very much, but she's his wife that he's come back to find in 2018, who was. Uh, disappeared in apparently in an explosion but she like he works out that there's a conspiracy against her and that's that's never really explained too much why Catherine Keener is so evil with a capital E but um I found that really quite emotional actually when they met up again and he realized that he had to go back and stop things which means they would never meet but the the this idea that they'll they'll find each other eventually, I thought was really really sweet, and I I found the the moment at the end, and yeah, you you've seen the giant thing exploding at the end where everyone just about saves the day a million times before, but I thought it was done really really well, choreographed well, and that moment at the end where they say goodbye and they've been trying to kind of uh, not break the future by telling their dad that he's about to died in an accident and it turns out he he worked it out anyway and he he has this wonderful moment at the end about what what uh what memory is and what like seeing your kids grow up is 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 good enough for him to see what happens now and i thought it was just really really sweet i really i really liked it and the the only thing i didn't like actually was um really really early on to establish that the uh, jennifer gardner gardner and the son don't have a good relationship. There's a breakfast scene where he, she's trying to pay some bills. And I think it's later established that he's just really grumpy, just really sad and grumpy. But his line read is like super sarcastic. Do you know what I mean? There's a difference between sarcastic and distant. And mm-hmm. I I think some of the line reads were actually wrong. I think some of the direction of the line reads was wrong because he came across as there was no difference in that scene to any of his other sarcastic scenes that he'd had up to that point. There was no extra element of distance or sadness or grief or or uh, or like mourning. He was just being an absolute dick, and I almost texted you saying, "Do we have to put up with this precocious prick for the whole movie?" Because it. If he'd shown, if that kid had shown grief at that moment, then you could have understood where that distance was coming from. But he just came across as a really arrogant prick. And I think that was actually a wrong decision uh, for a line read. But mm-hmm. it's kind of fixed later. So that was my biggest problem with the movie is that there was, that there's a big blip there. But I just really like how the kid didn't annoy me towards the end. I think I was quite surprised. <laughs> I was quite surprised how that Ryan Reynolds shtick, and at some point 
it's gonna it's gonna stop being okay and i really hope it's beyond the next deadpool because sean levy's also just been locked down to direct deadpool 3 and i think it's a great choice but if you watch something like red notice which absolutely puts all of its money into the three stars doing the thing that people know them for so the rock being the rock and gal gadot being mysterious and beautiful and ryan reynolds just on 110 percent sarcastic asshole Red Notice is a difficult film to watch because it is just awful, awful, awful film. Whereas in this, I just think it worked. And I think sometimes it's just going to work. And so I was quite happy how the relationship with the kid worked out as well. I enjoyed the chase scenes. The The CG is really shoddy throughout, but um, I really liked the standoff on the beach. And I really liked the the uh, emotional and action-based climax apart from the one CG choice for a digital actor that is truly tremendously awful and kind of breaks immersion. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, it's not like these people didn't have references of how this person acted and moved at that age because they have many and so it's a bit of a mystery to me but I, maybe they just ran out of money this this shit can't be cheap so they just probably didn't yeah, have the budget for it i have nothing on which to base this but i do know that they used uh, like a second actor and then they composited and then they reshot the main like they so it's Catherine keener we're talking about so they had a younger actress there with her doing the scenes and then they had a like a rig set up where they basically shot Catherine Keener's face with the same lighting, and she just recreated the performance of the, the her younger self, and then they composited that face onto the younger actress, and for whatever reason, it does not work. Um, no. it, it, I can't put my finger on exactly why, and it's not an Uncanny Valley thing where it looks too good to be true, it just well first of all first of all it doesn't look like Catherine Keener when she was that age. She's meant to be thirty. <laughs> like you can you can Google Catherine Keener at thirty and find what she actually looked like. But yeah. also when you watch it if you watch it again, the thing that really stuck out for me was her neck. Her neck yeah. was about a third longer than it should have been, and it just looked really weird. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was the choice to cast a second actor and just sort of digitally grapped the face on might have just been it in that I think they were trying to make Catherine Keener's face conform to that actor's face shape and yeah. body. And, the, and then they just don't move the same. Like, they didn't have the same. Yeah. Like, one of the big things that really does work in this film is that Walker Scobell and Ryan Reynolds clearly spent enough time together that they not only sound mm. alike, but they move alike. Yeah. And Catherine Keener and her younger self just don't. And that's... Yeah. Again, another sort of frustration for me is that all all the pieces are there, like all the nostalgia references that I mentioned is sort of being a problem. Like to me, maybe wouldn't necessarily have been a problem if there had been, I don't know, one new thing, you know, like mm-hmm. um, and all the stuff you're talking about, all the emotional moments. Yeah, there's a moment at the end where the father reconciles with the two versions of his son and they sort of all have a nice little emotional catharsis about how they perceive each other. and that works like everything like that works like gangbusters it's just that everything that you have to go through to get to those bits does not really work out as soon as you get out of the first half of the movie at least uh maybe even just the whole first after the whole first act none of it none of it ties together correctly none of the stuff that i needed 
to pay off paid off. You know what I mean? Mm, well, no, because um, I, I don't agree at all, but it's really yeah. interesting to, to hear like a mirror version of the same thing. Yeah, and it's again, like, I, I've been sort of struggling with what rating I would give this movie out of five because I honestly, there's parts of it that I liked and there's parts of it that I don't. But the problem is that I can't get the parts that I didn't like out of my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's either a fun-filled family adventure, nostalgia throwback to the 80s, or it's a film cobbled together from references to better films without the connective <laughs> tissue to make it a good film. So you it's, should, it's, listeners, you should you should watch this and decide which of us, which camp you're in here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely one of the two of those things. I honestly <laughs> am having trouble telling you which one it is at the moment. In some ways, it's in some ways it's both. And honestly, mm-hmm. I'm tempted to say that it's a three out of five because ultimately, it's mostly fine. It's mostly fine, and I may be being hypercritical, but ultimately, like I just and it, there's another thing that really bothers me about it that I won't say because it's a spoiler, but like, I just wanted it to be better. And I know that's not really necessarily a fair way to, to judge a film, but I wanted it to be better. It's mm-hmm. just not. Although I will say it was fun playing spot, the Vancouver location because it was very, <laughs> very much so shot in Vancouver. But, but the, uh, the street outside the Blarney stone has never looked that clean <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, swept <laughs> yeah that's your although that's, the, although yeah. the uh, vancouver convention center just does always look that futuristic so that's nice. yeah it does it really does they didn't have to do much <laughs> there at all did they yeah oh, good so you know what it's probably a three out of five for me as well which is weird but for entirely positive reasons it would be a four if it weren't for horrific non Catherine keener at the end and yeah uh, i i i just love i mean Zoe Saldana's barely in this movie. And honestly, there's not a massive connection between her and Ryan Reynolds. The, the chemistry is fine. It's not like you don't feel it burning off the page. But she does this thing where she, she is so authentic. And when she smiles at him, she crinkles her nose. And God damn it. I'm a super yeah. creature. And uh, and then she kicks some serious ass. I mean, she's a wonderful actress anyway. It makes... It made me even want to try and rewatch Colombiana, which is not a good movie, but she is really, um, uh, she's really in that too. <laughs> she's she's just really watchable. I mean, Colombiana does have one great scene, but uh, it's not an overall yeah. great film. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. good. Uh, what well, are we watching I... next week? You know, honestly, I don't at this point know, so let's just say it's going to be a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) To to Um, us as well. Yeah. Um, One thing that I would like to try and watch is that um, in addition to the Academy Awards coming up on the 27th of March, the Canadian Screen Awards are happening in the early part of April, so I would like to maybe try and get us to watch a couple of the Canadian Screen Award Best Picture nominees. I've already seen a couple of them. but What are you saying? Canadian what? The Canadian Screen Awards. They're the Canadian oh, Academy. Yeah. Right. They, I was going to uh, say Canadian Queen Awards. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a different competition, sir. Um, <laughs> no, the Canadian Screen Awards happen. They're happening okay. in early April. Um, there's five pictures nominated for... Five films nominated for Best Picture. I've seen, I think, three of them already. 
Um, we actually do have a screener mm-hmm. for one of them, so we can talk about that one. Um, and I think it's important that we talk about some media from our home nation, or my home nation, anyway. You're a citizen, though, so it's yours, too. I I have a passport and everything now, so yes, I should yeah, know right? that. Um, Good. Uh, yes, we also that, yes. we also technically have the uh, Canadian Film Festival coming up, to which we've been invited to cover this year, which is exciting. Ooh, fancy! So, I will. Uh, I believe we have some screeners to talk about there too. Yes, good. Well, that will so, give us enough to carry on with, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, you can also find. Um, I just recorded. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to drop, but I just recorded a guest appearance on a podcast called Classic Movies Live, and we're talking about a really terrible Anna Kendrick movie called Rapture Palooza uh, for their series about <laughs> Anna Kendrick movies. Um, huh. And uh, I think that's, I think uh, if all goes to plan, I'll be guesting on the Lambcast as well for their Oscar preview show, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh-huh. So, yeah, cool. stuff's happening, man. Stuff's happening. excellent well be sure to check all that out uh if only there was some way to support you doing all this premium film review content i know right um oh that reminds me uh there should be this week uh there'll be a special episode of the podcast being published where i will be speaking with canadian film director seth a smith who directed a uh fun well not fun but a a little indie (laughs) dystopian canadian sci-fi film called tin can uh last year which i got to see at biff i got to speak to him this week so there'll be a special episode of the podcast up this week for that yeah Uh, but if you do want to support us the best thing you can do is listen to us so thank you for doing that and uh if you would like to give us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to us on that would be amazingly appreciated if you'd like to support us in a more direct fashion we do have a patreon and a ko-fi and you can find links to both of those at the website which is awesomefriday.ca um as always we record and produce this on the unceded lands of the musqueam Tsleil-Waututh, and squamish nations and we are eternally grateful for your listenership yeah what do you got coming up, Simon? Anything anything you want to add really to that? Have... I think that's everything. No, I mean I'm just grateful to have time to watch anything these days. So <laughs> I, I I am enjoying our little Star Trek project that oh, I, yeah. I'm uh, we yeah. we're currently in the middle of recording some interesting Star Trek stuff for you. And uh, yes. uh, because of that I'm rewatching Star Trek with my family. And yeah. it turns out my wife is uh, really knowledgeable about Star Trek, and I have no idea. So that's that's fun. But honestly, uh, the time I have to watch stuff is so limited. It's it's nice to be able to squeeze stuff in. Nice. So um, my my kids only watched Turning Red twice since it came out on Friday, and today is Sunday morning. So I anticipate we'll be watching Turning Red for another five or six times before next weekend. At well, least. fun. Fun. Because they they really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, good. Because it's, it's great. Excellent. But yes. Well, right, thank well, you for listening. Thank you for listening. We're going to sign off. Everyone have a lovely week, and we will see you next week with uh, another awesome Friday. Bye. Bye bye.